This is Kelly. This is Jen. This is Heather. And you're listening to Whiskey Cats. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> On this episode of Whiskey Cats, we welcome Aaron and Bill from the DC Beer Podcast to discuss Rogue's Dead Guy Whiskey, barrel-aged beer, and the ins and outs of a shot in a beer. And for even more Whiskey Cats and DC Beer goodness, stay tuned for an upcoming episode of DC Beer. So today we have a, I don't know, special episode. <laughs> a very special a, a very, episode. A very <laughs> special episode. We'll talk about of... the moral later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that probably become self-evident. Now I'm a little concerned. <laughs> episode of Whiskey Cats, we have um, special guests with us from the DC Beer Podcast, um, Aaron and Bill. Um, say hello. Hi, I'm Bill DeBond. I'm a co-editor at dcbeer.com. And I'm Aaron Morrissey. I'm the host of the dcbeer.com podcast and occasional annoyance to Bill. <laughs> occasional? <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome to yes. annoying us. Welcome. <laughs> Thank so, you. Thank you. do you guys want to talk a little bit about, um, like, what your podcast is, what you talk about, or is it? Do you feel kind of self? Yeah. Um, <laughs> sure. sure, we can. Um, we're a relatively new podcast, um, and we started a few weeks ago. Um, and Bill and I really just the genesis of this is we always have these conversations at bars about beer and over GChat and over email and. Just, it, it was silly not to just sit down and have a podcast about it. And the response has been great. Mm-hmm. So we really thank everybody for listening and chiming in with their questions. I think one thing that we constantly saw in DC Beer that, Bill, you can speak more to, is that we got a lot of the same questions over and over mm-hmm. because DC is such a burgeoning beer city. Um, questions about pricing, questions about distribution. People are very curious about the ins and outs of beer. And so I, I feel like we, we try to cover some of that while still, you know, indulging our, our own personal hilarity. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, I mean, first of all, it's, it's, a, it's amusing, right? I mean, it's entertaining for us to do this. Um, and the feedback we've gotten is that it's entertaining for other people to listen to, which mm-hmm. is great. We would, do it regardless. I feel like if we had two listeners, we would probably do it. Just <laughs> just it's like you're kind of doing it anyway. You know? all, <laughs> all two of you out there. Yeah. <laughs> we really um, appreciate it. Love you. You know, the, the, other, the other piece that um, the podcast affords us, though, is that we don't do a lot of op-ed work at DC Beer. Mm-hmm. You know, we are primarily um, a news and events website. You know, we only in a in um, very extenuating circumstances do we really kind of like inject ourselves like into the op-ed world right so the podcast gives us an outlet to do that where i mean i can i can talk Aaron can talk and not have it represent dc beer like right. mm-hmm. the entity right so that's really helpful do you cover are you like do you do everything for dc beer is it all just you no guys? no no we no we you have like a, a we have a, a team of excellent okay. uh folks who are Saints. shipping in yeah <laughs> And, and of course, Chris, uh, who's not here, Chris Van Orden, editor, yeah. who is is a uh, co-editor with Bill and does a lot of heavy lifting as well. We'd yeah. be remiss if we didn't mention him. Yeah, I read it occasionally, but I haven't thought about who is behind it, which is my, my own terribleness. <laughs> it just magically appears on your screen. It magically appears. I get the newsletter and I'm like, oh yeah, this is happening. Yeah, this, is, this is a thing. Someone apparently puts time into. Oh wait, beer. Yeah, I like beer. Yeah, that's a that's. Yeah, it's one not, benefit that DC Beer has. I don't right? know what it looks like. like <laughs> it's almost like having a newsletter about pizza. You know, really, like, are people going to be. I've been like, a little sidetracked. There's a newsletter about pizza. I know, it's not <laughs> there is now. Patent pending. <laughs> I've been distracted by whiskey lately, so I get excited when I get a beer one. I'm like, all right, hey, stuff. Well, next week, I don't know when this is going to be published, I guess, but. Next week is Saber Week, um, so there'll be a whole bunch of great events next week. I have so. mixed, it sounds like you guys have mixed feelings from listening to your podcast. It sounds like you have mixed feelings. Yeah, give it, tell us briefly what it is. Well, a Saber is an annual event that is kind of a collective of everyone in the beer world descends on Washington, D.C. There's a two-night uh, event at the National Building Museum where they are, what, 74? 76, 76 breweries. breweries that pour. Uh, and the week uh, leading up to Saver is just chock full of events where out-of-market uh, breweries and in-market breweries have events at every single beer bar 
our event calendar is already ludicrously full, and it's just a matter of um, kind of balancing out. And, and I think right now, the value is in the events leading up to the event rather than the event itself. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the past, it was such a, a beer mecca. You go and you go and shove 70 beers mm-hmm. uh, into your face hole. <laughs> Amazing. Which, uh, Just bring your own funnel. <laughs> quite the scene, I should add. <laughs> but now the focus is more on establishing D.C. as a growing market. A lot of breweries will come in and debut beers. A lot of established breweries were coming in and serve new beers. It really serves as a stimulus for every bar in the area to kind of have these great beer events. People coming from around the country. So it's a huge week for us just in terms of preparation, meeting people. Liver damage. <laughs> We've absolutely tried to set up every year, like, who is going to give me their liver? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Got to figure that out. We're lucky podcast winner. <laughs> Yeah, actually, we have some questions for you guys. Uh, uh, I, mean, I think guys are out of the running. Out of the running. Damn. Uh, Do you see the shelf behind you? Maybe we could damage them in different ways if we just traded them. Yeah. Like, you know. More parts. Yeah, like, left side, right side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's true. That's, we d- we that's definitely we, we don't drink whiskey at all. Nope. Um, <laughs> I've never heard of it until tonight, actually. That's true. And we don't drink beer. So we don't. So <laughs> We're going to start out today by tasting um, a whiskey that... <clears throat> the three of us um, actually have had before, so I'm actually very interested to see how we react to it. Right, because we've had, it was like two years ago or yeah. something. So when we did our original un- audio recorded whiskey with tasting. Tasting. Yep. Yep. The, the pilot. The pilot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which involved tasting like 11, I think, whiskeys. That's way too many whiskeys. Way too many whiskeys. But it was fun. It was good. And now we know why that It'll never air. Yes. <laughs> well, it wasn't recorded for one. It should not have been recorded. No. no. So, so green. So naive. Um, so today we have a bottle of the Dead Guy from Rogue Dead Guy Whiskey. Um, we thought it would be appropriate because um, if you're not familiar, Rogue is a brewery first. And they have a very wide selection of brews. So um, I'm assuming, DC Beer Guys, you are familiar with Rogue. Yes, very familiar with Rogue, and I'm very interested to try this um, on a number of levels. One being that Rogue is one of many breweries of this size in America that are getting into the spirits game. This is something that a lot of breweries are branching out to. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a natural extension, obviously, of their work and their barrel collections, as I'm sure we'll talk about later. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, Yeah. so so Rogue actually opened in 1988 in Ashland, Oregon. Um, and they just started at this, like this little brew pub, um, just brewing a couple of beers in the basement. Um, and they ended up actually expanding in 1989 to sort of where you see them today, which their Ashland location is their, um, sort of flagship brewery. And they have, I, I like tried to count the beers that they have, but I was, I just sort of got bored yeah. at counting. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty big. Yeah. Um, and then they got into, I couldn't, excuse me, I couldn't figure out when they actually started distilling. Um, but I figure it's kind of recent because this particular whiskey that we are trying today is only aged uh, a month. So it's a very young whiskey. Baby wow. whiskey. It's I'm excited. Baby, baby whiskey. <laughs> and, but they also uh, distill, they also have a single malt whiskey. They have a rye, um, as well as the dead guy whiskey. And they also have a selection of vodkas, gins, and rums. So they've sort of done the gamut of spirits. Their gym is very nice. Massive warehouse. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Dogfish does this a little bit too, but they make like these tiny batches and they only sell it in one place. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, I didn't know they made a rye. Yeah. Let's get our hands on that. Yeah. I almost thought about getting just the single malt, just, but I couldn't, there was no, they didn't say in the description how it was connected to their beers. So this one was the most connected to the beer because it is... It, they use the same malts as the Dead Guy Ale. Ah, all right. Yeah, very. And and for those of you who are <clears throat> in DC that are beer drinkers, um, and if you have been drinking beer for a long time, Rogue Dead Guy, you know, is has been around forever. 
uh, in the craft beer scene. And, you know, Rogue is one of those breweries that people talk about as really a kind of pioneer, mm-hmm. uh, West Coast pioneer brewery. Um, so certainly if you've been drinking beer for as long as Bill and I have, or maybe a little <laughs> bit long, uh, shorter, <laughs> you'll definitely uh, have been familiar with Rogue Dead Guy. So I'm yeah. interested I mean, it's up see. there in that pantheon with like Sierra Nevada Pale, Boston Lager. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, it's... It is. It's an American classic for craft beer. A quintessential American craft yeah. beer. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think you know, looking at the bottle, it's got the the same branding as the Dead Guy Ale. Um, the color looks a little bit light. It's pretty mm-hmm. amber. Um, and on the back, it says, "Our Dead Guy whiskey is distilled from the sweet wort of Rogue's award-winning Dead Guy Ale. Distiller's yeast is added, and the sweet wort is fermented for seven days, then double distilled in a 500-gallon, excuse me, excuse me, in a 500-gallon copper whiskey still, and ocean-aged in oak barrels." So that's one of the things West that. Coast. Well, I was yeah. just going to say, yeah. Yeah. ocean-aged man. Um, so environmentally friendly. It was kind of all over their website, and you know they have like a manifesto, and a you know you can sign up to be like a, a rogue and like sign the declaration, and everything is very, you know, eye rolly West Coast. Um, they have like a serious ethos. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. they've got multiple farms. I mean, yes. they're super environmentally sustainable. You know, all, all that, all that contemptible kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they Master are very, very stuff. much about sort of um, farm to bottle. Uh, and they they grow pretty much all of their malts and um, every, every, all the ingredients that you find in their beers and their spirits that they, they will particularly grow on their farms. So, uh, Jen, you'll find this interesting. So it says they actually list their ingredients of what they use within the whiskey itself. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of things here that I just assume are the names of their malts, which is Two Row, mm-hmm. Mare Munich, C15, Rogue Farms Dark and Risk Malts. And then they say that they use their proprietary Pac-Man yeast. Mm -hmm. And then Free Range Coastal Water. Of course. Free Range. Free Range. Not Pendant. Coastal Water. Are you kidding me? But is it artisanal? (laughs) It's Free Range. There's no ages around (laughs) the water. We can't can't keep that water contained. The water was humanely raised, humanely treated. Okay. We We dug trenches to to direction it Mm -hmm. over to the distillery. The bottle actually does say it's artisan distilled in Oregon. Of course it does. Yes. Yes. Um, (laughs) So it's it's 40% ABV, 80 proof. And um, I was able to get this at my local liquor store, Schneider's on the Hill, um, which is a great liquor store mm-hmm. if you have not been in the D.C. area. Um, it's about $39. So pretty reasonable. Um, and then the other fun thing is this is definitely not a normal bottling for whiskey. Um, it has a, what do you call that? Pop top. Pop top. top yeah. With a pop top cap. I don't, I don't know. What it's the, a, a swing top. It, yeah, swing, swing top. top. And it, it resembles yeah. kind of whiskey in a large <laughs> format. Uh, slash growler Frankenstein yes. packaging. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. I like that description. So, <clears throat> using the vampire cat Amos in uh, bottle opener form. Let's open this. So. If you can hear him crying upstairs. <laughs> He's kind of chilled out now. We have so many glasses. I know. Right now. I feel like I could play pool with them. <laughs> there you go. I actually thought, Heather, you want to fill them with water and do a little, you know. Oh, yeah. Little, a little oh, musical. Yeah, little musical, <laughs> musical orchestral. I think. Thank you. Do you guys see my new picture? It's adorable. Now we have an official Perfect. whiskey. That's we don't have to use the Pyrex yeah, anymore. No. Now we're classy now. One step at a time, ladies. <laughs> the setup is quite professional, I will say. <laughs> we're super fancy here. It's so professional that we even have a jug of old ground in. <laughs> That's the, for later. The backup, That's for later. Whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Because so, what I remember about tasting this is. <laughs> so the we'll interesting see. thing is, like, this actually has a pretty strong aroma right pouring off the, out of the bottle. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Mm. And what, for, what, oh, sorry. I was going to say for, for a young whiskey, um, I, have, I have to remind myself this is, this is a malt based mm-hmm. whiskey. That's what I was going to I remember the green. Okay. And um, not corn, not majority corn. And you can smell it. There, mm-hmm. I cannot smell yeah. corn. Do we know what it's Asian? Unfortunately, no. They were not very forthcoming about that. Okay. Well, cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Welcome. cheers. Okay, so I like this a lot more yeah. than I did the first time I drank it. <laughs> yep. We're sure it's the same bottle. It's not a same. different kind that we drank. No. this is the, Remember we remarked how it was only 30, 30 days aged and how young it tasted. and There's not a lot to it. No. no. Very straightforward. <clears throat> yep. 
but, but it's much sweeter than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a lot of spice. Yep. I. <laughs> it's strange because this seems like a very autumnal type whiskey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, right off the nose, of course, you get the malt right away. Mm-hmm. Um, as someone who has drank a lot of road dead dying in the past. <laughs> and as you were listing um, the different malts, um, Kelly, obviously recognizing those as pretty stereotypical West Coast malts. Um, it is very sweet and spicy, which I actually was not expecting from a very 30, 30 days yeah. Uh, yeah. whiskey. Is, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. It is. Bill, what do you think? Well, you know, I got to tell you that my, you know, my, my whiskey um, repertoire for vocabulary needs to be fleshed out, right? Um, I mean, this definitely has more of um, like a, a, a graininess than like the, the bourbon or rye that I'm used to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this, I mean, this reminds me more of drinking um, more like an Irish whiskey than anything, mm-hmm. than anything American. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am getting, you know, the spice that you're talking about. And I wonder, I mean, I don't know how this plays in like chemically, but Pac-Man is a pretty fruity yeast. Mm-hmm. So I wondered of what extent, like when you distill wort that's made, that's, that's fermented with, with Pac-Man, um, how that. So this is super technical, but do you know if it's a top fermenting or it's like top a, fermenting. it is top, top fermenting? Yeah. So, um, so there are a bunch of different, for our audience, there are a lot of different ways, different yeasts. Top fermenting, sort of middle fermenting, and the and the bottom fermenting. And most um, most whiskeys use bottom fermenting yeast because they like when it sinks to the bottom, it it flocculates better, it clumps better, and it that means that it can tolerate higher alcohol. Like it, it it's mm-hmm. more comfortable in higher alcohol, and it keeps the sugar down, so it keeps the sweetness down. So when you use a top fermenting yeast, you're bumping up the sugar a little more. So that may be why mm-hmm. for such a for such a young aged whiskey where you usually get the sweetness from the barrel you're actually getting it more from the esters that are made from the yeast because it's top fermenting so that's interesting you know one thing that's really interesting to me about this particular whiskey is and i can't help but compare it to an ale uh in this case i mean it's pretty obvious the finish is so clean on this Mm -hmm. uh if anybody out there has drank rogue dead guy the finish lingers slightly and this actually cuts off very cleanly yeah um it's very good for the whiskey in that it makes you want to continue drinking it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, especially at 39 a bottle i, I yeah. was gonna say that that price is uh, certainly reasonable um but i was actually surprised that it doesn't have a lingering effect um mm-hmm. and actually i i prefer that personally it's nice yeah, yeah I, I i'm from you know we have tried this previously but several years ago and we i think the words were detest maybe oh wow um, really, i wish i meant to bring my notebook yeah, for that it was, day. It was, it was pretty it was the second worst one yeah in fact we may have liked it slightly better than the hudson's baby bourbon i think maybe that was our mm. which is terrible terrible, terrible. <laughs> yeah i mean i, I mean that's so, a testament to them you know in two years that um well i almost feel like we're we have tasted a lot more things within that time so mm. And maybe have... And we're not half-hammered when we're trying it, too. And, like, you know, roasted our tongues on, like, ten other whiskeys, which probably made a difference, so... So now I'm now I'm glad we're trying it, you know. And, yeah, and yeah. I was I was dreading it. And- <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> it's why I brought this. So, so, okay. so, so, um, so let's uh, let's try it with a little water, yeah. Yes, yes. <clears throat> and, you know, Bill, you said um, that it kind of reminded you more of an Irish whiskey, which is I think kind of interesting because last week we tried um, this new Irish whiskey, the Glendalough. Uh, and we, so, you know, we were wondering, how, like, we have, I have a lot of Irish whiskeys on the shelf here. So we pulled out um, the Irishman to mm-hmm. try with it. And I think we actually cut this from the episode because um, it ran a little long. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but we noticed how different it was that that the Glendalough was really uh, rich and had um, a deep flavor to it. And this uh, this other Irish whiskey, which I think is made in a different way, although we'll have to look that up again. But um, but it was just so one note. And it mm-hmm. this actually kind of reminds me of, oh, the, Irishman. of the Irishman just yeah. a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. So I think on the nose, the water brings out a lot of the the maple sweetness. Yeah, it smells like toffee. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is another one that I would like really cold. So the last Irish whiskey Mm -hmm. that we had, and it's funny because you also said that this reminds me of an Irish, but like... this That was one that I really wanted with a big ice cube. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel about this. Mm -hmm. 
So it's 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 funny that Aaron, you think it's a it's very autumn, autumnal. <laughs> but I feel, but I feel like a nice cold glass with ice and. It's autumnal in the way that I want to like sit with it in a dark room and watch Deadwood. That's how I like. That's my cold weather. Like this is like a cold weather, but still cold whiskey beverage well, to me. And you know, I think we'll get into this um, in a little bit. But for me, a summery whiskey is something like a Willet Four Year mm-hmm. that is still young. But has kind of crisp quality to it. Um, it's kind of abrupt, right? Um, and this one, it does with the you know with the water, it kind of pulls back on the spiciness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely dilutes it. Really, but it still has that creme brulee, you know, little without without the burnt, but uh, toffee, <laughs> sweet, sticky, uh, th- and that's. That's why I said autumnal. That's yeah. instead of I can't imagine drinking this out in the patio when it's ninety two degrees. I, yeah, I agree with that completely. And sidebar pause: we're not laughing at you, but yeah. we had a like lengthy discussion about creme brulee versus mm-hmm. sugar last time. <laughs> like every time, there's like creme brulee comes up so often. Oh, that was on pur- that was on purpose. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you listen, yeah. Heather. What do you what do you think of the, with the water? Uh, you know. The nose seems different to me. The taste actually, it doesn't change all that much for me. Mm-hmm. Not the way it does for a lot of other ones that we've had. Mm-hmm. Um, let me try it again. I don't know. It has a lot of the same notes. I mean, it, it really just kind of tastes diluted. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As, as water will mm-hmm. do. Right. I think that's why I would like it cold because mm-hmm. I feel like then it would the dilution would have kind of a purpose because it would add this dimension yeah. of, of temperature but still keep the flavor a little bit. So their tasting notes um, were that it had an orange citrus aroma. I wish. (laughs) I don't think I got that. (laughs) And that it was sweet, rich malt complex. Mm, Complex is a little Mm. generous. With uh, medium-bodied flavors of oak and honey with a clean vanilla finish. I could give it honey. I don't, I didn't, I wouldn't have said that, but but it was, it had all those sweet kind of, you know, Mm-hmm. finishes to it. Absolutely agree. And clean vanilla finish was not getting any orange at all. No. Um, and complex, certainly not. But not, I mean, more complex than we thought for a 30 day. Not in a, not, yeah, not in a negative. Okay. Yeah. Not, yeah. not in a negative way. Um, I actually thought it was nice. It was not as complex for, for that, but yeah, not, I wouldn't call it complex. And actually I think they're probably doing a disservice. Calling it complex, I think you know that <laughs> at that price point for the audience that they're going for, which is someone as familiar with beer, I think right. they would want to be called nice. yeah. clean and you know yeah. sharp, yeah, e- easy to drink. <laughs> A session, session whiskey. whiskey. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are. It was uh, what? Um, what was the proof? Uh, it's eighty. Eighty okay. proof. When we finally start our distillery, we're yeah. just going to call it Session Whiskey. I don't know. It's going to be like super high. <laughs> we're just going to call it Session Whiskey. I think, I think we, can, us. we can call it Session Whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's just because I've been drinking a lot of overproof recently. Uh, there you go. This is your four and a half percent. Awesome. So should we um, taste some beer? Yeah, let's grow some beer. Yeah. Yes, please. I love this beer. Uh, I'm I will, excited. I will go on about it. And the best part is it's available. But we, when we were thinking about bringing beer, we actually thinking about local beer, and local beer actually has uh, kind of a surfeit of uh, of, of barrel aged beers, yeah, and it's sure. very seasonally based. And there's not a lot in um, actual retail distribution. You know, DC Brow did a Willet barrel aged. Uh, is it the Porter? The Pen Quarter Porter? Continue. They also um, did. And then Three Stars, of course, does you know a ton of yeah. barrel aging. And, um, but they don't package it. And so mm-hmm. right now, especially, it's going to be very difficult to find a local barrel-aged beer. The only one that I can think of, and it only comes out you know once a, once a year, is the Flying Dog Barrel-Aged Gonzo. Right. Um, um, especially in whiskey barrels. So right now, the... <laughs> there we go. We've had we have some experience with that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so the beer that we have here is Allagash Curio. Allagash, of course, uh, from Portland, Maine. A very popular brewery that does a lot of work with barrel aging. Um, and Allagash Curio is actually the first beer that Allagash uh, barrel aged. Um, 
Basically, it's their Triple Ale, which is a very uh, popular year-round beer that they make. Very delicious beer in and of itself. But uh, Curio is actually aged in Jim Beam bourbon barrels for eight weeks in Allagash's cold cellars. The aged beer is then blended back with a portion of fresh triple. And the resulting beer, uh, their tasting notes, I'll actually save until we, mm-hmm. we taste the beer. Uh, but this is actually one of my favorite beers that is uh, readily available in large format. It's at a reasonable price point. I believe you should pay around um, $17 to $18, $20 max if you're really craving it. Uh, and it's widely available in D.C. year-round. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you get a chance, there's usually also some yearly varieties on draft if you go to a special Allagash pouring night. And I highly recommend that you do if you get the chance to do that. Um, so let's enjoy. And it's uh, 11%? Yes, uh, 11%. A lot of citrus on my nose. Oh, that is lovely. Yeah. It's really oh, nice. It's yeah. really good. <laughs> yeah. This... Oh, especially this time of year. Sorry, yeah, I, I feel like this is an excellent summer beer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's just go out in the patio and... Yeah. Yeah, this beer is, um, again, the citrus and the sweet and the vanilla. Um, it really picks up the nice parts of the Jim Beam barrel without all the <laughs> otherness. Uh, I do love Jim Beam, but there you go. Um, <laughs> and it is very drinkable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I certainly have had occasion of having too many curios <laughs> on a few nights. Well, it is 11%, so. It, has, it, it packs a little bit of a wallop, but again, it's a very drinkable beer, and Allagash never disappoints. The one really nice thing, the citrus that you're getting, I think is from the uh, fresh batch of triple that they add in mm-hmm. at the end, which really does make a difference. And one reason we wanted to bring this beer is because, and Bill, I'll let you speak to this as well, a lot of people have this perception that barrel-aged beers are inaccessible, alcohol bombs, either Russian imperial stouts or porters, Mm -hmm. very thick American barley wines, Mm -hmm. difficult beers uh, if you are not someone who's drinking beer all the time. And Curio is a great example of a very widely available beer that's incredibly accessible, and it's a great entry point for people who want to get into Barrel-aged beers. And tasting it, I would never guess it's 11%. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just... Yeah, it's, it's sneaky. It's sneaky. <laughs> yeah. It is an anti-session beer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I assure you, this beer it is quite sessionable. <laughs> I just hope your sessions are closely monitored. <laughs> yeah, I was worried about the citrus, but Can it's not know? overpowering. It's just... No, it's a nice... It's, it's very, very well-balanced. Balanced. I think it does lose... I, I'm a huge fan of Curio. I mean, full stop. I think it does lose a little bit of that real um, bright spiciness that triples do have, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the the barrel like curbs that a little bit, um, which is unfortunate, I think, because that 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 I mean, that's the the, the big selling point on triple, right? Um, it is. This is super nicely balanced, but I don't know that if I if you didn't know that it was a triple. By, like if you hadn't read the label, mm-hmm. I don't think you would be able to pick that out, right? Yeah, um, I agree. You could say that it was just uh, a Belgian strong ale, or um, you know, just a Belgian golden. And, and, a, and a, in, a, in, in, I've actually had people think that this is almost like an imperial pale ale, a mm-hmm. very soft mm-hmm. pale ale. Um, people think it's you know Belgian, or because it doesn't have that American bite to yeah. it mm-hmm. that a lot of pale ales have. So this does have kind of like a like the um, grassy, like very grassy on like the very back finish of this that you would get from a beam whiskey, but also from the the hops that triples are are traditionally hopped with. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you're not going to get any of like the giant like grapefruit pine notes with with a traditional Belgian triple, but it's it's nice that the the whiskey and the and the beer itself do kind of dovetail nicely there on the on the grassy note on the finish. Heather, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I feel like you guys have kind of covered it. Um, and I, I think, you know, well-balanced is certainly true. I think it's it's just very, very subtle. I think it's mm-hmm. very subtle. I mean, I, I know you guys are getting a nose. I get no nose. And I'm wondering if I'm missing, like, an olfactory sense of <laughs> where that should be. Your geographic tongue really, has canceled exactly. out your nose. <laughs> I, just, I smell, like, absolutely nothing in the glass, which is... Weird. Well, I think there's. But, it's know, gonna be a little bit cold now for this. Uh, so, well, ideal serving temperature is forty to fifty degrees uh, Fahrenheit. 
Um, one thing, I also get less nose. This beer does age up to a year very well. And then, as I said before, if you get a chance to go and find 2014 Curio or the year before, hmm. it does really um, warm up a little bit and the nose really pops out a little bit more. This said, you know, it's generally fairly fresh. So, you know, you're probably not going to get that much of it. So can can you talk a little bit about, you know, we've talked a lot about aging whiskeys mm. and what it happens in a barrel. So what happens when you age the beer in a bottle? Like, I get what happens in a barrel, but what mm-hmm. happens when you store a bottle of beer for, say, a year? Well, we it depends know? on the style. <laughs> we, well, we do, sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it, <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> it, it depends on the style, and I, I mean, I'm I'm not a scientist by by trade here, but um, you know, the the more hops in a beer, especially late additions for hops, I feel like the the less it's going to to hold for you because those alpha acids start to break down, mm-hmm. and so you start getting it's not it's not it's on oxidation, but you just get this kind of like stale hop aroma. I mean, you never want to age like an India Pale Ale or a Dippa or anything like that. But at the same time, people say people can lay down barley wines for, for decades. Yeah. Well, hmm. you know, one thing I'll say about that is it's, um, you know, there are so many things that could go into that. And I think, you know, one thing, you, know, you mentioned Dippas, but, you know, uh, Dogfish Head's 120 Minute, uh, they actually do encourage you to sit on mm-hmm. uh, because it you know, unleashes a lot more complexity in the beer. Now, of course, that's an exception to the rule. You're talking about a beer that's hopped for a, what, every minute for 120 minutes straight, <laughs> yeah. and it's what probably a 20, it's 18%, 18 yeah. percent beer. Yeah. Curio, um, you know, anything that's generally done in, in bourbon barrels is, you know, you can just sit on it, and it's going to develop some different qualities. You know, maybe a brighter nose. Um, maybe the beer will mellow slightly, and you know, the characteristics of the barrel that were included there may. Um, optimize a little bit you know the real beers that are going to change when you uh, uh store them in a cellar are beers that have um you know live cultures in them mm-hmm. uh lactobacillus any sort of you know live bacterial you know so you know commonly like a lambic or sour beer mm-hmm. but you know more and more you're seeing more uh styles of beer us- utilizing those you know live cultures and those live cultures i mean they're alive you never you don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, uh, do those have a shelf life even if they're not open? If they're if they have live cultures in them? I yeah. I mean, I would say it kind of your mileage will vary depending on who the producer is and what the format is. How the pa- I mean, there's so many things going to like. Is the packaging legitimate? I mean, we certainly had bottle conditioned beers that you open and you go, "Wow, you know, this is good." Yeah. Uh, I hate to deride perennial, but I just opened a bottle of year old Saison de Lee and wasn't happening. So, I mean, there must be like a limit to how much stuff it can eat, right? Like, how exactly. Yeast, like, like sugar, it reaches, yeah, yeah it reaches exactly. the end of whatever it can eat. And so if you store it much longer than that, it either dies or it eats its own release, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is not good. So yeah. until there's only gonna... one. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, plot of the new science fiction. <laughs> I can't wait. So what you guys are saying is that my case of PBR down here is not getting any better. I would actually sit on it for another year. <laughs> and then take it straight out to I the mean, garden. you might as well. You might as well. It's like the yingling I had in my apartment for two years after Exposed. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, actually a podcast for for when we have a call-in or something. You know, what is the worst kind of beer that you've ever... What's the most desperate beer you've ever drank? Well, I think we well, was at patio but, camp one time. All she had was PBR. PBR that it said on the We have all been years. there. Um, well, so actually the one thing that I'm, I'm pretty interested in is their tasting notes. You know, we've hit on most of them. Um, you know, vanilla. The one thing they actually say is that uh, coconut is something that they part town. And mm-hmm. I've never mm-hmm. gotten that off this beer no no way. in my life. Nope. And I... I think actually a couple of years ago I was probably at Church Key and they, you know, had a the description on the bottom and it said coconut and I was just like I do not recall ever tasting. You know, do they mean licking the outside of the coconut? <laughs> I, can kind of, I can kind of get there with it. Like you were saying, grassy. Like that's kind of. I think this is a barrel aging trope. So when when you read like when so you good. read sort of terrible. I don't want to call anybody out, but like terrible descriptions of what happens when you barrel age something. Vanilla and coconut are the two flavors for whiskeys. Vanilla and coconut are the two things that they say chemically come out of the barrel when you char it. 
before you age something. And so I feel like that's just them being like, dude, we charred this barrel and aged some bourbon in it. And so clearly there must be coconut. I mean, Absolutely. I think they do that just to... And, and, <laughs> and I, I do think it's worth mentioning just to, uh, you know, verify your thoughts. Triple, of course, passion fruit, herbal notes, banana, honey, and a long, smooth finish. <laughs> so the passion fruit, definitely there. Totally there. Yeah. Totally there. <laughs> totally there, bro. Totally there, bro. Banana? No. I, I get a tiny bit of banana, well, but I think, I think I'm like, that's my, I'm like... Whenever I, there are certain Belgians and certain beers yeah. that for me, the banana is like super. Oh, see, that's going to be for me like dairy is for you. Like, don't, don't ever tell me. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. Like banana. It's just going to ruin it. There's for a me. tiny bit of it at the very back. But that's what gets muted, but, I think. Yeah. If, if, if we just had straight triple here, yeah. you would, it would be over the top. Yes. Oh, absolutely. You know? So it's, that, it's that's very subtle. I've, totally. I've actually called Allegas triple the Hefeweizen of triples. <laughs> it's all just banana yeah. bread yep. right in the face. I just can't drink it. Sounds horrible. But this is just, it's the tiniest, and it's like, it's low enough that I can ignore it and enjoy the beer. But it was running through my mind while I tasted it. Beautiful. Um, so the Curio is barrel aged beer so um we'd love to talk to you more about like what you know why why do brewers do this why do they take whiskey barrels and put their beer in it like what what advantage is there what you know what what's the outcome besides you know this sort of hint of vanilla from the bean barrel bean barrel that we sort of tasted tonight well let me get let me be cynical and then work back toward the optimistic sure so <clears throat> cynically, right, um, bourbon barrels are expensive and hard to source, like really good bourbon barrels are hard to source for brewers. And so when they put their beers into them, uh, that makes for a limited release that people go crazy over. And if you look at Rate Beer, Beer Advocate, um, you know, if you look at the top 50, a lot of those beers are barrel aged Russian Imperial Stouts that are only released once a year. Hmm. or exceedingly hard to get, right? And they're also very tasty beers, but the the limited nature of them also drives their popularity. So that's a very cynical way of looking at it, right? The other part of it is that um, the, the beers that tend to go into these barrels um, are high alcohol. And so now you're going to have to correct me on the science here, but having the high alcohol in the beer, right, um, allows... Um, for the pulling of a lot of flavors out of the barrel, right? And so um, when you have huge Russian Imperial styles that already have very complex flavor profiles, and then you're taking really good whiskey barrels and you're pulling even more flavors into that, I mean, that makes for a really good tasting experience. Yeah, I mean, I would say that that mostly what that barrel is doing is adding the sweetness. Like, that's what happens when the alcohol interacts with the barrel. Even if you've already had a bourbon in there, it's funny because people will say, like, well, it's specifically a bourbon barrel, and so it's inheriting the sweetness from the bourbon. But the bourbon inherited its sweetness from that charred oak. <laughs> so really, it doesn't matter. Um, it's coming from the it's coming from the barrel. So that's it's adding that. That's the layer of flavor mm-hmm. that it adds, I think, to any beer is, is the sweet. It's the vanillin that comes directly out of the wood, you know, out of that cellulose into and the, the coconut, apparently. And the coconut. And the coconut. I guess I would say, you know, I, I wouldn't downplay the relationship between brewing and distilling. I think, as we just talked about with Rogue, um, a lot of breweries are getting into the distilling game mm-hmm. because it's a natural extension of their work. And, of course, I mean <laughs> – Brewery owners love drinking whiskey. <laughs> I don't think I've met a brewery owner that doesn't drink whiskey. Um, so there's a natural affinity, and in in a lot of cases, you know, beer pairs very well with whiskey. Um, and so there's a natural uh, kind of connection there. Um, do you um, do you know if they use the same barrel for repeated amounts of times, or is it sort of more like whiskey where you some, can only use it, or like bur- bourbon where you can only use it once? Some some do. Uh, some do not. It really depends, again, on the sourcing and the availability. Um, a brewer that's only going to be able to source three whiskey barrels will use those barrels until 
they fall apart. They're not, yeah, until until they can't. Right. Um, I think a kind of interesting thing now is that there's been kind of almost like a lend-lease program at a lot of breweries because they want to try out a lot of different barrels. And so what you'll see is a, a distillery will send a barrel and then that barrel will go back and then that barrel will go to another brewery. And so you get like a very complex um, kind of domino effect there potentially. And then that beer stay in the barrel the way that the whiskey will. So, I mean, when you pass it on, it's like it becomes this sort of chain of custody of like flavors, flavors, right? Like this whole recipe that is going into that wood. I mean, how do you... How do you incorporate, I mean, how do you describe that once it's been used like five times, ten times, whatever? I mean, or do, or do you just like, I don't know, it's a, it's, it's just the barrel that we have. I think you experiment. <laughs> you know, it's a, there's a culture of experimentation. And as Bill was saying, there's also a culture of exclusivity in beer. And, you know, I think people, there's a definite market for people to try. I mean, Extreme Beer Fest, right? There's always mm-hmm. this desire for people to try the most kind of out there beers and the most kind of crazy concoctions just because it's crazy and it's something to try that no one else is going to get to try outside of this room of 100 people or whatever so yeah and there are a couple of um breweries i know new holland is one it's the only one Mm -hmm. i can think of but they do barrel aged beer so they'll do a beer no sorry beer beer barrel aged bourbon Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. so a bourbon i've never had this yes it's very cyclical right so they'll take they'll age the beer in it but then they'll turn around and age a bourbon and well i guess it's not technically a bourbon because it's not a new yeah it's not a new cask but a whiskey but a whiskey maybe they finish it in Mm -hmm. there right so they finish it in a beer barrel and so i think that's the kind of the the, the same kind of experimentation that they're like we have this barrel what should we do with it does it have to be a limited release like you know do you have to get like well i got 10 barrels of this i'm gonna that's my limited release but once you start getting a different barrel that maybe has a slightly different chain Mm -hmm. of custody Mm -hmm. i mean how do you start in court like it seems like the standardization of that would be difficult. So um, let me drop the P word real quick and talk about how um, the bourbon barrel aging is problematic right? Mm. With, with beer, right? Is that if you look <laughs> at um, like a scotch label, for example, you know exactly like this was first fill. You know, you know exactly what every mm-hmm. treatment was on that, on that scotch, right? Um, not the case with beer, right? You don't know if this is fifth fill or if it's first or... Where, where it came from before. I mean, for for a lot of um, beer fans, it seems like it's like, well, it's bourbon barrel age. That's enough. That's all you need to know, right? And um, I think that what you're talking about with some of the, the, the changes barrel to barrel gets resolved with blending. Um, okay. So you're not, it's not always single barrel um, that, you know, that, uh, that a beer is coming out of. So, you know, if you have 10... And three of them are fifth fill, and seven of them are first. You just kind of average it out, and that's what it is. Well, I I think you know to to Bill's point there. Not every brewery is Allagash, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of breweries obviously want to ride this crest of popularity and interest in beer and whiskey collaboratively, but maybe they can only source so many barrels, uh, or they don't have the space. Uh, to source many barrels, which, you know, is certainly a uh, concern, especially for local smaller breweries. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, here in D.C., there's just been, you know, D.C. Brow had a recent expansion. Three Stars had a recent expansion. Uh, those are enabling those breweries to actually put in barrels. Uh, Blue Jacket, you know, was built out with the barrel space on the top. And it, but again, you know, that's expensive space, especially in a, a city. So you're talking about kind of real logistical concerns. And maybe you only have... 10 barrels and you can't scale, you know, a year round release like Allagash can. Mm-hmm. So you blend and you do what you have to do basically to, to figure it out. Can you guys, I mean, you guys have been doing this a long time and you have discerning palettes when it comes to your beer. I mean, have you been able to get something with the same label and it be like six months later, this doesn't taste mm-hmm. the same. Have you experienced that? Hmm. I'm trying to think of if I can, if I can well, pick out something that's been inconsistent. Well, one thing, one thing I'll say about that is, I don't know many brewers at a scale that will, you know, be producing the kind of beers that we're talking about mm-hmm. because these are very expensive beers to produce. You know, we're talking about actually probably the most expensive beers that you're probably going to produce at a typical American brewery. Is that because of just the of all agent? the overhead? You yeah. know, you're talking about time, space, right. effort it takes to source the barrels. The you know the inputs amount. on the base beer. Those kind of exactly yeah, those on the base beer are expensive. Exactly, those kind of breweries are going to have incredible quality control departments that are 
the reason that you won't get that six month difference is that mm-hmm. they won't release something from the brewery if it's not okay. up to par. So you really do have to scale up before you could do this in the first place. Oh yeah, like we're talking, you know, when we're talking about barrel aging beers. Um, that's a, that's like kind of like two hundred one, three hundred one type stuff. You know, a brewery that opens a meat like they're not going to be able to do that unless they have some sort of like they're funded by petrol oil or whatever. <laughs> Uh, you know, is, is not going to be able to immediately say, great, we've got our barrel room full of like right. 60 incredible barrels and we're going to be able to produce this beer. And also we have a lab and also we have the quality control department. Like it just doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah. And actually I would be skeptical of a brewery that opened um, and maybe was doing, you know, maybe had like two or three fermenters that was like, we have a, bar- we have a barrel aging program. We'd be like, mm-hmm. uh, maybe sure i think there's like a little bit of semantic difference there though like having a barrel program Mm. is a different thing than having one or two barrels putting some beer in it and putting it out right i mean um i was just down at um in shreveport louisiana where a friend of mine friends of mine own a brewery and they put um a baltic porter into happy van winkle barrels at six months, like once they were open six months well, and they just did the release and it came out really great. You know, I don't know if it will taste the same next time. I don't mm-hmm. think they know that either. Right. But it was really good. And if it's really good next time, I guess that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of the charm. And when you're in Shreveport, right. Louisiana, <laughs> not exactly um, a bustling metropolis. Sorry, mm-hmm. Shreveport listeners. Um, <laughs> you know, you will probably be okay with a little interbatch. Uh, variation because you live in Shreveport, Louisiana, and your chances to have bourbon barrel aged beers are not happy. Happy barrel. Happy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, not even just yeah. right. Happy, yeah. 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 And so, are, and are breweries mostly upfront about where they get their barrels from, or is or a lot of them are sort of like where it's just a I'm barrel? Proud of it. Well, yeah, I was gonna say I, I think if they, they will certainly let you know if they're happy about it. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, when we were at Off Color. In Chicago, uh, which is run by John Laffler, who used to be a barrel master for Goose Island, uh, we went in there, we visited around, and I was like, wow, look at these Corsair barrels. Uh, these are beautiful. And he was just like, oh, let me show you the entire stock. And I was like, great. All the you know, are facing out, right? So, exactly. So they had this, you know, they had the branding. So. Everything. It's just like the literal branding, not the uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Twitter hashtag branding. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, in a lot of other, some other cases, you know, Aliash Curio, perfect example. Jim Beam bourbon barrels. Mm-hmm. Like we want people to know, like mm-hmm. this is a brand mm-hmm. name that people associate with whiskey that they know the flavor of. And you know, strand hands, you get a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Pappy, of course. Written House is a very popular, yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know, barrel age. But like you know, sometimes you just it's it's bourbon barrel age. That's all you need to know about it. Like. Mm-hmm. Moving on. What's interesting to know about the the Aliash in particular is that I, Jim Beam is not like a prestige whiskey, right? right? But they're very upfront mm-hmm. about. It. It's, I love Jim Beam. I mean, I'm not trying to to smirch Jim Beam, but it's not it's not a Pappy. It's not it's not a Willet. You know, so it's interesting that they are so like. Yeah, but it, but Beam, it is know. it is a popular yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so it people, makes up for people that people know it and yeah. are going to associate. Right. Yeah, exactly. Know. I think that's that's a good point. That it's like it's a familiar thing, especially mm-hmm. if you're going to try something new. It has a familiar. I don't know uh, comfort like back yeah, yeah comfort to it a background to it that 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 doesn't make it seem experimental. When we were at Catoctin, they were very excited because they had gotten their barrels off to some brewery, which I now forgot the name. Of, but I well. um, yeah. but they were they were excited just because of like the even just the advertising of having this brewery say we're using Catoctin mm-hmm. barrels. Plus, they were like excited to reuse their barrels, but. It was. I'm excited to try that beer. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Well, well, to to, to unload them. To unload them. And Katakin's another one of those distillers that's basically like you see a lot of breweries do a lot of work with Katakin. Yeah, because they have good barrels. One cool thing we're seeing locally a little bit that is um, a cool. I don't want to say trend because I haven't seen two of it yet. And you know, the New York Times rules is. It has to be two for it yeah. to be a trend. Um, it was three. It, oh, is it three? Oh, I know. I think well, the standards are pretty low. We're, yeah. we're a long way off now. If the you, Times is on it. Right, yeah. Um, you know, take you know, Jack Rose Dining Saloon, which I'm sure you are super familiar with. Mm-hmm. You know, they get really nice barrels from distillers, and then they bring them in-house, and then they do a collaboration with a local brewery, and then they have the their house you know, barrel aged beer, mm-hmm. you know, for a little while, which is, I think that's pretty that's cool. cool. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's like a, you have all three pieces then. And I definitely always drink whiskey there. So I've not had, yeah, I've never beer. had a beer we, there. We, we will have to go and try that. 
Always whiskey. Or the whiskey. Which next week. Oh, God. Well, you know. What's happening yeah, next week? I got two hands. Next week, I got hands. <laughs> some cool house barrel-age stuff next week um, that are, that are brief labs. They have one with like a Laird's like Applejack barrel. They have oh, interesting. Um, so going back to, you know, we're talking a little bit earlier about how whiskey and beer are sort of like this natural sort of great pairing together. Um, clearly, we're all sort of around the microphone double fisting this evening. One double with, fisting. sorry, some of us. <laughs> Some of us had two beers. One has Triple fist. Sorry. Um, so we'd also that. just sort of love to talk to you about um, the, you know, you go to a you go to a bar and there's sort of this standard. Thank mm-hmm. you. Shot and a beer combo. Mm-hmm. Sure. What are, you, what are your thoughts on these? Are they gimmicky? Is it something mm-hmm. you should partake in? End of the bottle. You know what? What's your take? So. I'm I'm a big fan of the shot and beer combo, but I'm not a big fan of dropping a lot of money on the whiskey part of it mm-hmm. uh, when you're going to get into that combo, right? I think that you can do perfectly fine getting Overholt, Old Granddad, Absolutely. Beam Rye, uh, Pikesville. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to have you know uh, uh, Lafroy Ten and <laughs> you know like that's not really the what? combo I'm looking for. <laughs> I mean, I love the Freud 10, and I love Natty Bo. The two of them together is not a You're misunderstanding. I think uh, I think a lot of this has to do with the market that we live in. Uh, I think when you go into a bar, and this is something we've talked about before, whether it's in Kansas City or Austin or Chicago, even uh, or Philadelphia, even I'd hate to just be like Midwest. I'm just going up the Mississippi there. Um, you know, you go into a bar here and. A Natty Bow and a shot of Bullet Rye is probably going to run you, unless there's some sort of crazy, stupid special, like, what, eight bucks, nine bucks if you're lucky? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the kind of thing, like, I was in Chicago, I went to Big Star, which is this place in Wicker Park, kind of hipstery, but whatever. They have a dollar shot every day. Mm-hmm. I went on a Saturday, the dollar shot was Jim Beam Rye. <laughs> so like that, my, and we, my liver just like popped up. And we pack our things so, rapidly moved. So in that case, I walked in. I, I said, "I'll have an apple store taco and a tecate and a Jimmy Bryan." And the guy was like, seven dollars." And I was like, "Great!" So less than what I would spend here for a shot of beer. Now, um, I'd love to know where you're getting a shot of bullet bourbon and a, and a natty bow for eight or nine dollars in dc I know. Yeah, that does seem a you've, been, wow. you've been holding I out never tell <laughs> here here in this yeah. bar yeah. <laughs> yes here are all the places that i don't get that <laughs> just start it's fine. O- open ye- elimination that's great <laughs> open yelp and just knock on every bar um, this podcast just jumped to four hours <laughs> fast forward three hours aaron's like i'm in the s's now uh, satellite room Scion restaurant. It'll be our New Year's episode. <laughs> 24 hours of Aaron Morrison. I'll do it. I don't know. I listen to it. So on a tea right. now. Okay. Uh, no, but I think um, you know, generally Bill and I don't want to speak for you, but I think we uh, are big proponents of the high life and overhaul. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the industry standard, or you know, bow and overhold if that's your thing. I prefer the long neck. Some people like the can; it's all good. Um, but that's really kind of the you know industry standard, and that's what is it about the overhold that you love? Oh, it's cheap. Well, aside from being cheap, why first? Why rye and why overhold? Oh, why rye? So why rye is a very good question. I prefer a more abrasive whiskey, mm-hmm. something that has a little more heat. A little bit more spice, a little more aggressiveness on the palate. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, generally speaking, or just when you're doing the shot? Uh, generally speaking, um, and well, mo- especially when I'm doing the shot, but especially when I'm not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, um, no, I mean, uh, for sipping whiskey, I don't want to jump ahead in your questions. I mean, I prefer like Elijah Quick 12, very good sipping whiskey, neat. Uh, but um, for me, I actually don't like Irish whiskey. Bill knows my thoughts about that. Um <laughs> No more JMO. Oh, uh, no way. You're no, no, no. You're Actually, we've gone through this. Like when we were in Austin, Bill and I had a nice little sit down about the stages of whiskey that someone in D.C. goes through. And my personal journey was like you have three years out of college where it's wild turkey. And then you have your JMO years, right, where you're just looking to drink on the cheap. But like 
a wild turkey. And but it sounds that. like the next level. Yeah. And then you like start realizing that you're a moron and you actually start drinking. <laughs> uh, it only takes six years. Um, so then you start getting into some interesting whiskey. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just like rye in general is more appealing to me from sure. a palate standpoint. You know, I, like a lot of bourbon, I, I get like butter. Too much sweet. Yeah, I get little, it. A little too much vanilla and yep. the oak is a little too smooth. I'm a, you know, my loner dotty, a rebel. I <laughs> we we do know that. We, we know. Um, but, you know, Bill is actually uh, a peat man. He loves yeah. peat. Mm, yeah. The scotch, huh? I do love my little scotch, but not, and not in a, again, not in a shot in a beer kind of deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's... Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, even if I was going to drink good beer with it, I mean, unless it was like a scotch ale, which I don't really like, or a porter, yeah. which I don't really like all that much either, there's just not like a natural combination for a, for a real nice peaty scotch. So, yeah. so I have two questions. One is, if you were forced to get a shot in a beer, what would you get in your shot? Second question. Forced. What is your... <laughs> You're with Aaron and he's like, damn it, Bill. You will only have... <laughs> you have to choose a shot. What would you choose? And then next is talk to us about what scotch you like. First, all right. first your shot. I mean, I'm triple fisting. I'm going to ask you all the questions. No, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I guess right now, if, if I if, if I was if I was really going to have a gun put in my head right now, I would say that I, I would want... take the bullet. <laughs> I know, that's what you can refuse. Rather Refusing than, dr- rather than drink beer and whiskey, that's fuck fine. that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll die before I do it. <laughs> um, you know, let me let me give a nod to our friends up in Baltimore. I would say I would want a shot of Pikesville Rye and a can of Union Duckpin Pale Ale. That not, would, not all pro goza. Not with rye. No, mm. I don't think so. No, I could see that. Okay, so talk to us about Scotch. So what? Um, how did you come to love the Scotch, and what is your <sighs> so? Yeah. I, um, I'm not someone who does moderation so well, sure. so, uh, We're kind of all ahead of you right I know. now. So I really, Drink up, We're going yeah. to move that bar for you. So, the, the, a, good, a good yardstick for me on, on scotch is, you know, how peaty and medicinal can you make it, mm-hmm. and Ooh. how fast can you funnel it into my mouth. That's, oh, really? Uh, um, yeah, wow. like Highland okay. Scotch, like the honey kind of maltiness doesn't really do it for me. I really want that briny, salty, peaty mess. Hmm. It's really... Lovely. All right. Interesting. Wow. Did yeah. you... How did you... Do you remember the first Scotch that you ever had? First Scotch I ever had was probably Johnny Walker Red. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about... Just like Scot- I'm talking about Scotch broadly. Scotch talking broadly. About single yeah. malt. Um, probably Glenfiddich. Um, but then a friend of mine gave me Lagavulin in 16 and I was like, oh my God, this is just ridiculous. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, from there, you know, into Lafroy, Gardbeg. Um, so I'm, I'm actually really obsessed right now with, um, this cocktail called the Pete's word. Hmm. So it's a, it's a, if you know, the last word cocktail, it's gin, uh, maraschino, chartreuse and lime juice in equal parts. So the Pete's word is you sub, um, in Isla Scotch for the gin hmm. and wow. it is, I mean, it's an acquired taste, but it, for me, it, there's, there's like nothing better than one that's well made. Well, I will tell you that I am probably the least scotch drinker at this table, but I've been having some scotch cocktails recently. In fact, almost every time I see a scotch cocktail on the menu, I'll order it because the first one I had was so good and they're just, um, they're great every mm-hmm. single time and they will, they will always I think for me, have something a little bit on the sweet side to kick. Like, I can't, I, I don't think I could drink it if it was just a bitter cocktail. Mm-hmm. I could drink other things in a bitter cocktail, but not the scotch. Mm-hmm. But um, but I'm shocked at how much I love all of them, considering how little I, well, I don't know. I think my scotch mm-hmm. tastes are growing. I think they're growing. <laughs> I, well, I agree. And gaining yeah. in power. <laughs> I mean, that's actually interesting because if we're talking about beer and shot combos, my preference actually is kind of an inversion on that, uh, which is at All Souls, which is one of my favorite bars in the District of Columbia. Uh, they do a, a cocktail with rye, Aperol, and orange juice, and they also serve half pints of Two Hearted Ale uh, on the side. <laughs> my um, favorite beer in the world. 
Well, you guys Sorry, can't. we were going to finish this podcast, but then we all just left to go get this. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see you next week. Um, and then, like, it's really noisy. <laughs> so, uh... That actually is my favorite shot in a beer. Well, and also, I, I love... This is a whole other podcast about aperitifs and digestifs, but... Aperol, Making a note. <laughs> Aperol, Campari, any of those things. We need to have the other podcast, I mean, which is just the other... Like, we'll just call it the other podcast, which is like every time we talk about geology, we're like, well, you're going to do that in the other podcast. And on aperitifs, we're going to do or that like, in the other Yeah, podcast. and like and wine and all these I mean, things. Something different. And Bill is very familiar with my love of Boulevardiers, which is a Negroni with rye instead of gin. I saw your tweet about this today, and then I read through... Because we had a Negroni at the Catoctin Creek, and they're... Sorry, guys, but your gin is just, like, not great, and I don't uh, like so, the Negroni, but then I thought, ooh, putting rye in it, yeah, what an idea. Gin's just not good. Putting just overproof rye in it. Sorry, juniper and yeah, the right? Hannibal. Overproof round rye in it. Absolutely. Clear liquor. Uh, which we have. Though. I bought some of. Well, and of course, you know our... So our next podcast yeah. will be... And of course, our, our, our perennial <laughs> DC beer's favorite, which is the, you know, Rattler and the rye. Oh, yeah. Rye whiskey Classic. with Stiegel Rattler over ice. Maybe a little bit Campari. Maybe. Mm. Uh, nope. Straight up for me. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> Pre-Campari. Yeah. Campari is just... I Whoa. just can't. Hey. Maybe like a split... Apparently there's going to be a fight. <laughs> Sharks, Jets. Yeah. Choose your side. Campari not. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Okay. We are well anyway, for us. On that note... Thanks again to Aaron and Bill from DC Beer for joining us at Whiskey Counts. You can find them at dcbeer.com, and their podcast can be found on SoundCloud. Don't forget to check us out at whiskeycounts.com. You can listen and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Thanks again for listening. Cheers. Honey, baby, won't you cuddle near? That sweet mama whisper in your ear. I'm wild about that thing. It makes me laugh.